This is Claire Warnicki. And this is Piper Brown. And this is Rethinking Nuclear Energy, using Ukraine as a case study. Beginning on February 24th, when Russian forces invaded Ukraine, the potential of nuclear war has been increasingly on the front of everybody's minds. But Claire and I were interested in looking at this war as an opportunity to revisit debates on nuclear energy, which is often seen as a remedy for climate change. First, we'll cover some of the pros and cons of nuclear energy, and then together, we'll discuss our opinions on it. But first, what do young college students think about nuclear energy? Nuclear is hard. I mean, it's an important resource in transitioning to green energy, but it also creates a lot of political controversy. It's also a type of energy that can have some serious environmental impacts if mismanaged. Then, after hearing all of their initial thoughts, we raise the question in the context of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. More specifically, how Russian forces have occupied some Ukrainian power plants, giving them a higher risk of a nuclear accident. It's a scary thought that something so complex and potentially dangerous as nuclear power could be used as uh, a pawn in wartime. So, our friends and family mostly have some initial concerns about nuclear energy. And rightfully so, most of them expressed some anxiety when we then informed them of the precarious situation in Ukraine. So what's happening in Ukraine? Ukraine is home to four main nuclear facilities, the country housing a total of 15 nuclear reactors. With the Russian invasion, this marks the first time nuclear power plants have ever been in an active war zone. While nuclear power plants have a seemingly endless amount of safety regulations, amazingly, the possibility of war hasn't been readily considered. Ukraine is now in a situation where two of their power plants, Chernobyl and Zaporozhye, were or are under Russian occupation. And all reactors are at risk, just by nature of being located in a country under invasion. These plants can't cease full operation either. They're home to extremely hot radioactive spent fuel rods that require cooling. Fuel rods that are stored directly next to the reactors. And these active plants in Ukraine have been operating for decades now, meaning they hold much more potential radioactivity to be dispersed. Chernobyl was only three years old when the accident occurred. And to keep these power plants safely operating, Ukrainian workers are held under immense pressure. They continue to perform their daily tasks under the watchful eyes of armed Russian soldiers. They are run down, stressed, and exhausted. It sounds like a recipe for disaster. While these workers are still operating the plant, they have no control over the shelling that occurs and the disruptions to the plant's power supply. And these disruptions force them to rely on backup diesel generators to keep the plants running safely. Even as recently as November 19th and 20th, shelling occurred at the Zaporozhye plant, damaging buildings, systems, and some equipment. The reality of how unprepared we were and are should be a reality check on our expectations for the future of nuclear energy. Here's Kate Brown, a researcher and expert on large-scale disasters and modernist wastelands, commenting on the lack of foresight. The International Atomic Energy Agency and other nuclear agencies had not done any stress tests on the containment buildings around these reactors. They don't know what would happen if a missile hits it if one of these um, pyrotechnic bombs that the Russians are, are blasting away hits a nuclear power plant. The reality is we need stability and peace to make nuclear energy a viable investment. But even in ideal conditions, nuclear facilities are complex organizations, and complex organizations inherently have more potential for accidents. This theory of normal accidents, formulated by Charles Perrault, predicts that catastrophic accidents are inevitable in tightly coupled and complex systems. In his book, he says, quote, Despite the glaring failures of the nuclear power industry, it is clear that its design, construction, and operating problems do not, in themselves, constitute the cause of system accidents. It is instead the potential for unexpected interactions of small failures in that system that make it prone to the system accident, end quote. And in Ukraine, war sets the stage for any small failure to be catastrophic. 
It's like adding gasoline to a raging fire. Here's James Acton discussing some of the complicating factors in Ukraine right now. My big concern at these kind of plants is that nuclear power plants are not self-contained isolates. Um, they need uh, workers to come in from the outside. They need uh, electricity, which is from the grid, which is used to cool the reactor cores uh, in the event that they're shut down. The nature of a war is that all of these different safety systems become more likely to fail simultaneously. And here Kate Brown lays out the worst case scenario. So um, what happens if there's no pumps working, no cool water going in, is that um, the, they'll self-heat to about 1,000 Celsius, 1,000 degrees Celsius. The water will evaporate. And once that happens, once those fuel rods hit air, they could self-ignite. And then there would be burning fuel. This scenario can't be considered a fluke. We can't count on the assumption that war won't occur around nuclear power plants again. And it's not just war. Nuclear doesn't interact well with any sort of crisis. And as Kate Brown says, We're starting to live in a crisis-ridden planet. I don't think any benefits we get from nuclear energy are worth these risks. You outlined all your concerns about nuclear energy, but you neglected to spend enough time discussing the very real and imminent threat of climate change. Climate change is a current event, from flooding in Pakistan to Hurricane Ian to Lake Powell and Lake Mead in the southwestern U.S. hitting record lows, people are being impacted today. This is why we need nuclear energy, a green, carbon-neutral, and efficient alternative to fossil fuels. If we are going to take effective action, we can't discount any technology at our disposal. Commenting on this, here is Hal Hodson, technology correspondent for The Economist. It's incredibly safe compared to all of the fossil fuels uh, because it doesn't emit particulate pollution, which causes respiratory disease. So we can all agree nuclear energy is safer than fossil fuels, at least for air quality purposes. We can see this in how the U.S. has already harnessed its power, as according to the Office of Nuclear Energy, it generates 800 billion kilowatt hours of electricity each year, and it produces more than half of the nation's emissions-free electricity. This avoids the use of more than 470 million metric tons of carbon each year, which is the equivalent of removing 100 million cars off the road. This is the real potential of nuclear energy. And honestly, I don't buy your argument. Instead of completely discounting the potential of nuclear energy over political instability concerns, the international community should expand nuclear energy production while renewing its commitment to increasing political stability because the reality is, our solution to climate change won't be perfect. I admire your optimism. I dream of a more politically stable world too. But let's be realistic. Assuming that we can maintain political stability for thousands of years is pretty arrogant. What does an investment in political stability even look like for you? There's lots of ways investment in political stability could look. The continued growth of nuclear power in Europe could reduce energy reliance on Russian oil. Diversification of energy sources is vital for Europe's energy security. The Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe reported how energy security is a prerequisite for political stability. France is starting this process right now by attempting to restart its nuclear program. Their goal is to get all but 10 of their reactors running again by January after being shut down for safety concerns. Germany and Belgium pre-war were committed to closing their nuclear facilities. Data from the international agency showed if these nuclear closures were halted along with the completion of a new reactor in Finland, future gas demand could be cut by about 13 billion cubic meters without increasing carbon emissions. That creates a viable road to energy independence from Russia and therefore further stability. But as Steve Mufson and Claire Parker point out, quote, nuclear energy is not exempt from the problem of reliance upon Russia either. Russia possesses about 40% of the world's capacity for uranium enrichment, end quote. 
So nuclear energy wouldn't actually create that much diversification of Europe's energy sources. Also, we can't forget the timeline involved in developing nuclear energy. As Caroline Kuzumko, an energy policy expert at the University of Warwick, points out, quote, the EU is trying to wean itself off imports of Russian gas. Maybe nuclear can do that in the 20-year timeline, but it doesn't get you off the big problem, which is the near-term problem of getting off gas, end quote. You're right. Russian imports of nuclear fuel made up about 16% of the U.S.'s uranium supply in 2020. Russia is still one of the few places in the world able to convert and enrich uranium. But uranium is a relatively common metal and can be found across the world. Justine Kalma points out in an article on The Verge that the war in Ukraine has motivated the U.S. to ramp up calls to mine uranium domestically. We can reduce our reliance on Russian uranium and Russian oil. It will just require a strengthened commitment to increase conversion and enrichment capacities. Well, in the same article, Kalma said, quote, Longer term, however, the loss of Russian uranium could interrupt plans to tackle climate change by turning to new nuclear technologies, end quote. And these new technologies require fuel that is also largely supplied by Russia. We can't view nuclear energy as a pathway to further political stability. And as I've already said, nuclear energy can't be an option without increased stability. We can look to Ukraine as a justification for this. Hundreds of lives were and are put at risk from the Russian occupation of the Chernobyl and Zaporozhye plants. The potential for a nuclear accident exponentially increases with this political instability. Also, why can't we just consider other renewable energy options? Other renewables aren't enough. Nuclear energy is the only realistic option we have to fully replace fossil fuel use. Energy consumption demands are increasing in our rapidly warming world, and nuclear power is the only thing that can meet those demands. Consider this. A Nuclear Energy Institute analysis found that wind farms require up to 360 times as much land area to produce the same amount of electricity as a nuclear energy facility. Wind and solar energy aren't efficient because they're reliant on natural and inconsistent weather patterns. We need to change our measure of what is best from what is most efficient. No level of efficiency is worth the risks of nuclear energy production. We've seen what can happen from a nuclear accident at Chernobyl, Fukushima, and Three Mile Island. Is maintaining our current energy consumption levels worth this risk? Obviously not. What we need to do is reduce our energy usage and rethink how we live our lives. Also, we can't forget nuclear waste often primarily affects minority communities and indigenous tribes. To see this, we can turn to the example of Yucca Mountain in Nevada. The mountain is sacred to the Shoshone and the Paiute tribes, but the U.S. federal government thought it was the best place to dump nuclear toxic waste because of its location and climate. The project was ultimately abandoned, but only after a massive effort by indigenous and non-indigenous groups. There are other renewable energy sources that aren't nearly as destructive as this, like solar energy, wind energy, geothermal energy, and tidal energy. The list goes on. But those all have disadvantages too. Think of the bird species that are put at risk by wind turbines, or hundreds of acres of forests that are destroyed by solar farms. All options have cons, but it will take some combination of them all to transition to a carbon-neutral world. Yeah, I know everything has risks and disadvantages, but the risk of catastrophe from nuclear power is simply too high. It crosses a line. Also, renewables have the added potential of being strategically beneficial in the war. Here's Kate Brown laying out that possibility in Ukraine. If Ukraine, and we calculated, Ukraine uh, could easily replace their nuclear power with solar and wind and get 150% more power. If they had done that, or if they do that in the future, there won't be any little, you know, castles on the chessboard to capture in the form of these nuclear power plants. Decentralized solar and wind power means that you would have power all over the place and the, the Ukrainians wouldn't have to worry about, about you know, the Russians sweeping in and cutting off the grid. 
Overall, we need to remember that to tackle our climate emergency, we'll need renewables along with reducing our energy usage. That's exactly my point. We will have to find some way to meet in the middle. I think that in order to achieve political stability, we should focus on expanding nuclear energy production in more politically stable parts of the world. And we need to recognize the IAEA's potential to create and actually enforce safety and security protection zones around nuclear power plants, a current goal at the Zaporozhye plant. Ultimately, nuclear power is not going away anytime soon, and our goal should be to manage and protect it. Obviously, I don't think we should expand our nuclear usage, but less is better than more. And what we really should focus on is managing the waste we already have. Waste that we currently don't know how to manage and that will be around for thousands of years. We shouldn't continue adding to this problem. And management of this waste would only become more complex as its volume increases. Nuclear energy wouldn't pull us out of the mess we've made of our climate anyway. And here's the thing. I agree with you, Piper. Nuclear isn't going away. Nuclear waste, that is. And that's why we can't rely on temporary political stability. And we can't trust false hopes are short-term solutions like the IAEA. But where does that leave us? What could the future look like? As it stands, Ukraine and Russia's nuclear technologies are incredibly intertwined, and part of envisioning an end of the war for Ukraine comes with untangling those threads. Worries of energy prices and availability are growing as Europe heads into winter. A large percentage of Ukraine's energy grid has already been damaged, forcing them and other European countries to continually be dependent on Russia for energy. As a result, Russia and China have become the most dominant forces in nuclear power production and distributors of technologies. According to CNBC, there are 440 nuclear power reactors in over 30 countries that provide 10% of the world's electricity. As of March 2022, 55 new reactors are being constructed in 19 countries. 19 of those reactors are being constructed in China. China has recognized the need in the market and is rising to the occasion of growing demand for an ever-growing global population. Similarly, Russia is the top exporter of nuclear technologies with their VVER reactor design being built in Bangladesh, Belarus, India, Slovakia, Iran, and Turkey. Despite the headway Russia and China have made in the market, the United States has begun to step up to the plate. Sanctions and general disapproval of the invasion has understandably kept many countries from wanting to buy technologies from Russia and its allies. The Biden administration has many bills to consider concerning the protection of nuclear reactors within their own borders. The United States is likely to do whatever they can to prevent China and Russia from fully controlling the market as interest grows. The climate is yet another factor brought to the front by the war, rallying around decreasing the strain on our climate as nuclear is promoted as one of the cleanest green energies and memories of past nuclear tragedies fade further into history. Geographically, with the, and with the pre-existing grid, Ukraine is perfectly posed for a switch to green energy. Though it would take a considerable amount of money and construction efforts, it may be the thing Ukraine needs to gain independence from Russia. The future of nuclear energy for Ukraine and the rest of the globe is unclear with many paths it could head down. What can be predicted is that nuclear power, despite the climate and political concerns, is here to stay. Fighting to do away with nuclear as a whole cannot be our focus. Figuring out ways to combat the negatives of nuclear energy, such as the waste byproducts, should be our goal along with securing policies for nuclear security and non-proliferation to envision a sustainable future for our global people and planet. This is Claire. And this is Piper. Thanks for listening.